Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I've talked to the cops here. I'm literally 10 feet away from the drug dealers talking to you guys. Why don't you just go arrest them right now? And they're like, arrest them for what? And I'm like, dude, what the He's like, San Francisco is a sanctuary city. We arrest the Hondurans. We put them in jail. They're out two days later. Right. So there you go. There is an interviewee of Michael Schellenberger on the streets of San Francisco talking to the uh, bums and junkies and denizens of the street about what's really happening on the street. And if that audio is a little hard to hear, the guy said, yeah, we've got these uh, Salvadoran drug dealers um, and, and the cops won't arrest them. It's a sanctuary city. So they got it. It's so strange. If I mean, they don't enforce drug laws anyway. But if they enforce a drug law and you're an American, you get prosecuted. If you're a Salvadoran, you've got to be turned loose because it's a sanctuary city. And you don't want to be accused of being, you know, anti-immigrant. Well, that's something. Like I was saying yesterday, why would you want to ask the people that have are living through this homelessness drug crisis? Or have come out of it. Why would you want to ask them? No, no, no. Let's just have politicians and people with master's degrees and some sort of grievance study to make the decisions. No, don't ask the actual people that have lived through it. Well, there's uh, the common people are stupid. They don't know what's good for themselves. We, the suburban college graduate uh, Democratic Party, will tell them how to live. And we'll tell you exactly what's wrong. Uh, without spending a single second on the streets, hilarious. Anyway, uh, Michael Schellenberger, let's uh, let's start his just fascinating reporting with uh, clip thirty, Michael, and we'll work our way through there. Where are you from? Uh, Louisiana, Texas. How long have you been in San Francisco? Since uh, June. You're gonna be homeless. It's pretty easy here. I mean, if we're gonna be realistic, they pay you to be homeless here. When you said that San Francisco pays people to be homeless, what did you mean by that? You mean that literally? Yeah. I mean, I get 620 bucks a month, dude. From general assistance? Yeah. or what'd you get? How was that hard to get? phone call, bro. A wow. phone call. 200 food stamps and 620 bucks cash a month? Wow. Forget about it. Why wouldn't I do it? You know, it's free money, dude. Yeah. Wow. So James from Texas is getting $600 in cash and 220 did he say? Or 200 in food stamps uh, every month. From San Francisco, dude, they pay you to be homeless here. Well, remember we had the clip yesterday where the guy uh, was talking about how many people are from San Francisco on the streets. And he said, oh, I don't know, 7%, very low number, mm-hmm. which to me just explodes the entire premise of the way we deal with homelessness, particularly in California, but all across the country. It's a housing situation. It's the price of housing. Google came in, gentrified the city. Rent went up. No, these people came from somewhere else where I guarantee it was cheaper to live. Came to San Francisco or Portland or Seattle or Los Angeles because you give stuff out. It's easier to be a drug addict in some places than it is others. Right. Yeah, more comfortable, in fact, to the extent that you feel like you're getting paid. And I'm looking at you, Seattle. I'm looking at you, Portland. So uh, the gent who Jack mentioned, who we played yesterday, we'll play a little more from him. But he, yeah, he said the the percentage of native San Franciscans or longtime San Franciscans was in the uh, single digits. Consider this. If the number, and he's a very bright guy. He's a heroin addict, and it's sad because he's ruining his life, but... He came off as a very, very bright guy. If that very bright young man who lives on the streets and talks to these people was wrong by four times, the actual number is quadruple what he thinks it is. Right. It'd still be significantly less than half. 
Right. I mean, it, it would be 28%. So don't, don't, don't spend a second talking to me about what rents are in San Francisco. People are coming to San Francisco. So they aren't, they aren't living there. The rent got too high and all of a sudden they live on the street. Okay. I never thought that was true, but now, now it's very clear. And Boise and Austin and uh, the whole list. All right. Clip 31, Michael. This right now is, is literally by choice. Literally by choice. Like, why would I want to pay rent? I'm not doing I got a cell phone that I have Amazon Prime and Netflix on. We used to battle with the cops. Now, it's like the cops are... It's like they're your neighbor, you know? The cops told us uh, this morning, like, oh, it'd be easier if you guys packed up in the morning. We wouldn't have to come out here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, pack up your in the morning. I'm like, why? You know? He's like, oh, okay. And then went on... What did he sell about Netflix and Amazon Prime? <laughs> he's got a, a cell phone with that on there, and he's got spending money, and so wow, I have I have Netflix and Amazon Prime on my phone, and regularly think, geez, should I do that? It's a little pricey. Now he he has it. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't have to worry about rent or showing up for work. Thirty-two, Michael. Two kids came up and they're like, "Hey, you guys know where to get the oxycotton." They're like, I'm 15 and I'm 16, you know, like, I'm an old school junkie, you know, and I'm like, Uh, look, dude, I'm going to tell you right now, like, you're not going to get Oxycontin out here on the street. I was like, how much money are you trying to spend? And they're like, we got $40. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to take your money. And I went and I got a fentanyl and I brought it back and I set it down in front of them. And I said, this is a gram of fentanyl. This is enough to kill six people that have never used it. What I do to get high is this much, and I showed them how much I do. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's a little more of that. Go ahead with 33. I was like, I'm keeping your money, and now I'm going to teach you how to save each other's lives because you're not going to stop. I can't steer you away from doing it, but the best thing I can do for you now is give you real drugs and show you how to do it properly and show you how to save your friend's life. And I showed him how to pull up Narcan and how to inject each other with the Narcan needle in case they die. <laughs> I needed the money, let's, let's be honest. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's roll on. I find this fascinating. Next one, Michael. We already 34. All right. Oh, we already played that? Oh, you're right. 35 then. With fentanyl. Well, you can get red, blue, green, yellow, orange. They're like, oh, this is a new color. It's a fire puppy. It's fire. It's an orange. And you're like, what's the difference between orange and yellow? Because it's orange. Okay. All right. And they buy it. Next week, oh, homie, I got the purple. It's a new color. What's different than purple and orange? Because it's purple. I've literally had friends be like, well, the purple... Only gets you high if you mix a little bit of meth in. It really thins it out. Well, oh, once, yeah. once people are fentanyl addicts, any uh, criticism of their judgment and behavior kind of goes out the window, doesn't it? I mean, uh, yeah. At that I point, would say. you're living like an animal. You just need to get more fentanyl. Right. Maybe now's a good point to time to point out that a lot of the people who seem to be mentally ill on the streets, they have ruined their brains with meth and fentanyl and other drugs. They didn't start mentally ill. They are mentally oh. ill. It is a drug problem. Right. So I got to see some of this yesterday, unfortunately, because I had a flat tire in uh, 
I was about to say a grittier part of town, but it didn't used to be a grittier part of town. I mean, it's an urban area, but now there's just freaking homeless slash drug addicts everywhere. And so I was at this gas station for a long time trying to get a tow and deal with all this stuff. And and uh, all kinds of people shouting, yelling, waving their arms around, coming up to my window. Who's the guy in the suit in the fancy car? You know, that sort of thing. And just that that wasn't the case not no. very many years ago. Thank God I wasn't with my kids. Just regular downtown life in California. You're going to be surrounded by drug addicts whose brains don't work anymore. Right. And who are predators and petty criminals. You hope they're not violent criminals. You pray they're not. And then, of course, God help you if you need to use a bathroom, because all the bathrooms are closed in all urban areas now because of all the drug addicts. They can't have. So all of the, and everything's locked up, like we were talking about. So you can't buy toothpaste. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't You can't get outside your car in any urban area. That's compassion, Jack. Compassion. We can't incar- We can't incarcerate our way out of the desperation we see. Finally, uh, this is uh, Michael Schellenberger talking to Ben, 37, Michael. People are, are people on the street because they want to be on the street? Definitely addiction is the main driving force. And then after that, you're in a position to where you, you're, you're stuck. Like, you can't really go back. It's hard to go from, oh, okay, I'm done being homeless now. I'm going to just turn my life around and, and all of that, especially with addiction. So whenever, it's doable and it's possible. And I, I hope to do it someday. But. You know, like any parent, you hear that stuff and you're probably one of your first thoughts is, how do I make sure my kids don't ever get in that situation? And my kids, luckily, and I think this is going to end up being a good thing, see so many of these uh, drug addict people on the street, they're getting a really bad view of what uh, that hardcore drug use is like. Because you see it everywhere and it doesn't look very appealing. No, indeed. And you listen to a young man like Ben, and we have some more tape of him. Maybe we'll play it later. But um, it's just, it, it hurts my heart because he's obviously a, a bright kid, a, a, a decent human being and the rest of it. But uh, Schellenberger's uh, conclusion is worth sharing as we wrap this up. Almost everything people believe about, quote unquote, homelessness is wrong. Yep. The word homeless is a propaganda word yep. designed to mislead you into thinking the people on the street are there because they are poor. Correct. Rather than because they are suffering from untreated mental illness and addiction and often addiction fueled mental illness. How long have we been saying that? Right. Which is why I, I personally, I don't use the term homeless, generally speaking. I use bums and junkies. I'm not trying to be an exciting, cold hearted, right wing red meat chucker. It's because that is the problem. That's the problem that needs to be addressed first. And it's going to be extremely difficult because we have allowed to take root a culture of hardcore drug abuse. Yeah. So I was at one grittier area, where is it a Chevron on one side and a McDonald's on the other side, that I've been stopping at that McDonald's for like 20 years. And it used to be just like any normal McDonald's. You just, you'd go by there and get some burgers and it what there was nothing scary about it. But now there are drug addicts everywhere on that corner. So I drove, my tire was completely flat, but I drove on my rim uh, to another exit where I thought it'll be at least a little less dangerous and scary there than here. Wow. And it didn't used to wow. be that way at all. Yeah. I'm not I'm not in a bad neighborhood where you you know where it's been that way for decades for all kinds of different reasons. No, no, no. This is just something we've allowed to happen. Get taken over by drug addicts. It's 
crazy. What a crazy way to live. I was sitting there looking around thinking, how is this the modern world? How is this a modern world? There are people everywhere. That woman over there screaming, that guy whizzing in the street. What? And and if you wanted, I could bring you reports from a half dozen West Coast cities and or states explaining how they're going to spend billions of dollars more doing the same things. On the unhomed housing crisis. The housing crisis. The ongoing housing crisis. Our neighbors experiencing homelessness. It's crazy, man. Uh, Our text line. We got a lot on the way. We got to tell you if you haven't heard about the inflation numbers, oof, what Russia's doing with their warships, oof, all on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Look how the ash is the shape of the loafers. Now he's going to have a foot deal. Watch this. He's going to have a foot deal. You got a foot you deal? You need to use that gold bond. That's what I'm saying. Night. Use your products. Golly. What was it? That's dry skin. <laughs> <laughs> we want to apologize to the viewers. No, I think we can arrange a pedicure. I do not apologize for what I do. So I saw a headline yesterday. Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, reveals his nasty feet on broadcast. I didn't click on it because I'm disgusted by feet in general. I think it's one part of the human body that should be hidden away from others. Wow. But you looked What at are you, some sort of 6th century pope? <laughs> but you watched the video? I did. I did. His feet are enormous. Michael's fascinated by the feet. I don't, I don't know why you it's found it the so... The size of his big toe. I'm fascinated, well, too, because Joe and I were at a basketball practice back in the day Shaq was at, and I, the thing I remember the most is how big his feet were for him. He, yeah. he has big feet for a guy his size. I mean, you look at him, and it's... What is he, 7'4"? But he's disproportionate. His feet are... He's got big feet for a guy his size. Yeah. And so yeah. It's, it's weird. But I can't... It's a, so barefoot, I can't imagine... Yeah, his toe's probably as long as my foot. Well, and uh, my favorite Shaq story is there we were at the Dream Team practice, uh, standing on the sidelines amidst, like, Alonzo Mourning, if you're a basketball fan, he was seven one seven two, big guy, a couple of seven-footers. And then Shaq walks out, and having been standing among seven-foot people, I looked at Shaq and said, holy crap, he's just so enormous in every way. But his feet didn't surprise me. They are gnarled and enormous, but I once heard, <laughs> I think it was... I I think it was uh, Patrick McEnroe. Uh, he was doing a radio interview, and he said, if you ever date a, a professional tennis player, you know they really love you if they'll let you see their feet. Because when you make your living, you know, stopping, starting, stopping, starting like that, it just tears your feet up, really? and they get all gnarled and ugly looking, whether it's tennis or basketball or so, whatever. Okay, so it's not just, so it's it's the result of his career, his sports yeah. career. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, okay. Yeah. Speaking but of they sports, are the size of decent-sized rowboats. I mean, you could take the boy out fishing on those feet. Yeah, I've been to shoe stores, like, you know, where they sell the, the fancy athletic shoes, where they have, like, a Shaquille O'Neal shoe on display just for fun. And, uh, yeah, you could you could put your baby in there when you bring him home from the hospital. In a pinch, you could live in it. It might be the hottest Super Bowl ever. Los Angeles going through a heat wave. If you're in Los Angeles, you know that all week long. Could be, if things hold the way they are right now, they're thinking 87. Holy cow. Which would make it quite easily the hottest Super Bowl. 
I was braced for a high temperature, but 87? Yeah, it'd be full on hot. Guys are going to have to be getting like IVs and stuff. Uh, it'd be a one, only one other Super Bowl in history at a kickoff temperature over 80, and that was uh, when San Diego had it in 2003. So, well, if you don't want hot Super Bowls, couldn't put them in. You want a colder Super Bowl? Play in Minneapolis. Yeah, and, and, uh, babies. And, and not inside. Play outside. <laughs> I'm just so excited about the Super Bowl. Nothing to do with the football, nothing to do with the stupid commercials, nothing about the chance to sit around and hobnob with people whilst eating guacamole. I'm excited about the mask thing. How's the the idiotic, unscientific mask mandate going to play out in the stadium? That's the game I'm going to be watching. I wish I was sitting in on the meetings they're having this week, I guarantee you, where they're discussing how are we going to handle that. Everywhere from the governor on down to... You know, people are going to be standing in the aisle with a badge around the, and a blazer on trying to figure out, do I, how many times do I tell these people to put their masks on before I stop? Do I kick them out? Do I give up? And I hope no, you know, yuck, yuck takes it out on the poor ambassadors, and, and I hope there's no violence or anything like that. Peaceful resistance, friends. God, if you could, if you could get everybody in your section together, say... If we all do it together, they're not going to kick us all out. There's no chance. Let's just all say no. I I love it. I think that would work. Yep, I love it. We need to talk more about kids and masks in schools because there's finally discussion about that. It's child abuse, by the the way, but we'll talk more about it later. If you miss an hour, grab the podcast armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We need to talk about mask mandates going away in a whole bunch of states, but still masking in schools and the politics of it. It's all politics, all politics, zero science on this story, by the way. Oh, Um, yeah. And a lot of progressive uh, institutions are starting to admit it, which is refreshing, at least. uh, We should talk about that. Maybe we'll kick off hour three with that. I want to talk about the movie Don't Look Up, which I watched last night. First movie I had seen in its entirety that wasn't a kid's movie in 12 years, I think. Um, Plus, I'd like to address the fact that the administration is denying that they're handing out crack pipes by saying we're handing out safe smoking kits. (laughs) Do those contain crack pipes? Yes, they do. (laughs) And either I've completely lost my mind or they have. So Joe has been mentioning this story a couple of times in recent days. The Washington Post got a hold of the internal uh, report on how Afghanistan went so poorly there at the end. And I was happy to see that Andrea Mitchell on NBC News took a look at it last night. The chaotic and deadly U.S. evacuation from Afghanistan stunned Americans and the world and cost the lives of 13 U.S. soldiers. Now a damning new report blames the Biden administration for being slow to evacuate U.S. citizens and Afghan allies, according to an Army investigation first obtained by the Washington Post. One national security official saying an evacuation would signal we have failed. Yeah, well... Sometimes you have no choice, you see, is the thing. There's a real kicker coming at the end of this, by the way. Here's more. 
According to the report, three days before Kabul fell, Rear Admiral Peter Vasily, the top commander in Afghanistan, sounding alarms to acting U.S. Ambassador Ross Wilson. But another military official telling investigators the embassy needed to position for withdrawal and the ambassador didn't get it. <sighs> it's hard to imagine how that would happen. And uh, let's, uh, let's hear this kicker and then we can discuss. The report also citing testimony from an army officer who went door-to-door at the U.S. Embassy on August 15th, the day Kabul fell, urging staff to get ready to leave, but says some were, quote, intoxicated and cowering in rooms. The military is saying very clearly that the State Department was very slow, unwilling to recognize the urgency of evacuating the embassy. The fundamental problem is that we decided to leave Afghanistan precipitously without a plan to get people out and um that's everybody's fault well well, i don't know if it's everybody's fault um well Uh, well, let me stop you there since when is cowering in a room drunk a crime (laughs) that report was very judgmental Uh, uh, wow See that that that's what I worry is going on with the whole Ukraine Russia thing right now. The State Department obviously is run by the Secretary of State, and he sounds like the sort of academic that can't come to terms with the reality of what might happen. And it sounds like that's what happened there in Afghanistan. These State Department people, no, no, no. We put out papers. We make statements. We have meetings. The city mm-hmm. is not going to fall to the Taliban. That's not. We had a meeting the other day. And a paper uh, put out by a professor, a think tank, six months ago. This is not going to happen. I know you told me they're just outside of town in jeeps with guns, but that is not what our think tank said six months ago. That's the way I feel like they're looking at the Ukraine thing right now. Yeah, and f- yeah, fair enough comparison. Uh, some of the particulars are especially uh, amazing, or if you're involved personally in this, incredibly angering. There are memos, and I don't have the dates in front of me, I apologize, but they were like ludicrously late in the game. Memos were bouncing around saying, hey, we really need to come up with a a way to vet our translators and the people who have been helping us uh, to figure out whether we can bring them to America. And the reply would be, that's a good idea. Let's consider that at our Monday meeting next Monday. And then they have the minutes of the Monday meeting in which they say, okay, uh, we agree that's a really something we need to do. Figure out what to do uh, with the translators. Let's form a working group, and they'll report back to us uh, by the end of the month. Okay, great break. And, I mean, this is like a couple of weeks before Kabul fell. They're in the beginning stages of developing a system for appraising whether the people who stuck their necks out for us ought to be able to come to the States. It's incredible. But we'll be there. The least important part first, I suppose. Will there be any political price to pay for this? I don't feel like there's going to be. I, you know, I think the the horrific floundering in Afghanistan, even if the American people didn't know some of the particulars we're talking about, they sensed that it was awful. Oh, yeah. So, it, that's that's if you look at the trend line of Obama, uh, uh, Biden's ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went into the 30s in one poll yesterday for the first time. Significantly lower than Trump. Yeah, at the same time. Yeah. He's into the high 30s. What poll was that? I think that was the uh, Real Clear Politics average of polls. Oh, was it really? I, I could be wrong. We'll have to we, look we that up. We can check. Yeah. But um, anyway, if you look at the line on all his polling, you know, um, it, it all went 
the big dive happened at Afghanistan, and that'll never turn around because that was that just everybody said, "Oh, okay, he's not he's not on top of it. He's not sharp. He's not capable. This is not a new administration. These are the the grownups are not in charge, and that's never going to go back." So from that standpoint, yeah, uh, a hell of a political price I suppose was paid. Um, even if people aren't specifically thinking about that when it comes time to vote in November. Um, but more importantly, that obviously is, will, will anything get fixed? Is there any, anything that's going to stop that sort of thing from happening again? That was horrible. Great leadership. You know, it, it takes great leadership, and I mean great, to overcome the the you know the bloat the uh, you know the, the hardened arteries of the giant bureaucracies that is our federal government um, because it, you have to overcome it. My favorite account was Robert Gates, sec def, multiple administrations, uh, Republican and Democrat, talking about he who as the he as the Secretary of Defense could barely budge the Pentagon. He ran the place and he could barely get anything done. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah, I'd say. So, yeah, it, it takes great leadership and great supportive leadership to, you know, so blast away at those hardened arteries that they open up and, and, and get something done. We were talking about what issues are going to be on people's minds come the next election. Crime is certainly going to be one of them. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. They're Probably. locking up my toothpaste. Right. I, know, I know it, Reverend Al. Um, that's funny how I always sound sarcastic when I say that. i got to get some speech therapy or something. <laughs> Let me try one more oh, time, geez. Reverend Al. Nah, it's just as bad. So, uh, good friends at Simply Safe Home Security have messed for you. You want to know what's happening at home when you're not there on your doorstep. That's why we're such big fans of the new wireless outdoor uh, security camera from, from Simply Safe. Lets you see what's happening outside right from your phone. Alerts you when anyone approaches it, so you always know who's there and what's going on. And Simply Safe is monitored twenty four seven by professionals ready to dispatch police, firefighters, EMTs to your home. Less than a dollar a day. You set it up yourself in around thirty minutes. No long term contracts or commitments with Simply Safe. You know other uh, security systems. You have to sign a one year, often two your deal with them and you're locked in whether you like it or not yep super affordable simple easy to use but better than the other systems hmm. customize the perfect system for your home in a few minutes at simplysafecom slash armstrong go today claim a free indoor security camera plus 20 percent off with the interactive monitoring go to simplysafecom slash armstrong one more time simplysafecom slash armstrong uh doctor writing in the Wall Street Journal today. Actually, what is he specifically? This guy, Harvey Risch. He is the uh, professor of epidemiology at Yale. Maybe you've heard of it. Seems like pretty good credentials for the woke crowd, you would think. Anyway, uh-huh. his, uh, his op-ed in the Wall Street Journal is time to end the COVID emergency between Omicron's rise, layered immunity, and therapies. It's safe to treat the virus like a flu now. And he writes, among other things in the column, disruptions are doing at least as much damage to the population's health as the well as uh, as the virus. Yeah. The state of emergency is unjustified now, and it can't be justified by fears of a hypothetical recurrence of a more severe infection at some unknown point in the future. This is from a Yale epidemiologist. If the government if the government can grant itself such power then the limits imposed by the federal and state constitutions are effectively meaningless. 
Americans have sacrificed their rights and livelihoods for two years to protect the general public health. Government officials must doubt now do their part and give Americans their lives back. I like this growing chorus of people saying this sort of thing, but it doesn't. Well, it's having some effect on blue states and blue counties as they're making noises like they're We hear you. So we're dropping the mask mandate in the near future with the caveat Before that the midterms with the caveat that. Yeah, every kids still have to wear it in school, and if you're unvaccinated in gatherings over this number, blah, blah, blah. So it's just a tiny bit of a drop of the mask mandate. I will I will try. I'm sorry, was there more to that thought? I will try as hard as humanly possible to keep this very, very brief. We'll talk about it more later, next hour. If you don't get next hour, grab it via podcast later. There was a brilliant piece of writing, and I wish I'd hung on to it. It was months and months and months ago, but it was about Gavin Mussolini who the halfwit governor of California, who was clearly fixated on nothing but COVID and was ignoring all sorts of terrible negatives of his policies, terrible outcomes, suffering of people, etc. And all he talked about, what he, what he claimed was that the only thing he had to look at was COVID. And the, the editorial made the point that when you have a complex society or, or the complex needs of a human being, and you focus on one thing to the exclusion of all others and let those all others make the person miserable or kill them, including, you know, miss cancer screenings or whatever, not to mention the emotional stuff, the connectedness, blah, blah, blah. If you focus on one thing to the exclusion of all others, that's the opposite of leadership. That is cowardice that is running from your job and making an excuse and and these government mandates at this point in time that's what those are and i won't get into all the negatives because there are plenty of them children suffering emotionally children uh who can't learn speech properly new study out kids can't recognize masked faces nearly well as as well as adults oh. so they spend their school day surrounded by strangers uncertain of who's who and they're yeah. physically miserable because of their masks so legions millions of school children only in the united states and like one other country all the other countries the kids are on masks did you know that so kids now associate being at school with being miserable and afraid Good. because of those masks that are medically needless. I forgot. Sorry, so, I said it to be short. I failed. Did you hear Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in Georgia? Yeah. Uh-huh. She, uh, she, you know, you know the story. I assume she, uh, she's running, and there was a picture came out the other day. She had her mask off, standing in front of a bunch of kindergartners, little kids, cute little freaking kids with their masks on. It hurts my heart. I see it every single day, but it hurts my heart. Anyway, she's there maskless. It's a big political thing, blah, 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 hypocrite, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she comes out with her apology, and she said, I took, because I'd only heard part of the apology. I took my mask off for the picture. Okay, that's kind of weak, but, uh. and when I gave my speech, because I wanted them to be able to hear me, oh, 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 okay, uh, and that apology is supposed to make things better? You took off your mask so they could hear you, oh, okay. Yeah, that's what the teachers are saying or the kids are saying when they can't hear their teacher or their friends at the lunch or uh, yeah, that's what everybody's been effing saying. You can't hear anybody. You all oh, that makes me so angry. How I dare know. you ever be in charge of anything if you're going to say that? Yeah, I took my mask Amen. off so people could hear me. Oh god, that makes me crazy mad. 
Yeah, that's why we don't want our kids wearing masks. They can't hear their teacher. They can't see their lips. They can't talk to their friends. And it's uh, it's killed their socialization and half a dozen other things. Oh my god! It's just it's awful. How it's did absolutely you, awful. How did you say that out loud with not realizing how awful that is? Oh, that Meanwhile, makes me mad. Uh, children are at next to no risk anyway. Yeah, you can't, it's hard to wrap your head around. I want to. I saw a movie. I We're going to follow the science. I want to talk about this movie I watched last night. Don't look up. Have you heard of it? I couldn't recommend it more highly. Uh, I think it's relevant to everything that's going on right now. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. Show. Speaking of medicine, tomorrow we've got a two-part. Well, maybe the destruction of the entire planet isn't supposed to be fun. Maybe it's supposed to be terrifying and unsettling. No, please don't do that. And you should stay up please. all night, every night, crying. When we're all 100% for sure gonna die! Uh, is she always like that? (laughs) (laughs) That's J-Law, the scientist who discovered the comet that was going to obliterate Earth on a morning television show in the movie Don't Look Up, which is nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars, including Best Picture. And I watched it last night. Before I get into that a little bit, it reminds me, this is the first time I've seen a movie, a grown-up movie, in over a decade. And it reminded me of when it was the reverse, when Joe had young kids and he would never see movies. And I would see lots of movies because I was childless. And I'd get ready to talk about a movie and Joe would start spouting things he'd read about the movie. And I'd say, what are you talking about? (laughs) Because it had no, Joe's impression of the movie had no reflection on the movie I'd just watched. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'd heard that Joe would say, I'd heard that blah, blah, what? Oh, yeah, I'd read these editorials just <laughs> vehemently pointing out and that feel, the movie was this. Blah, blah, blah. And I feel like that would don't look up. First of all, I'd seen promos where I was under the impression that it was a mostly serious movie. I was expecting it to be kind of like, I don't know, Julia Roberts fighting for clean water or something like that. I thought it was going to be more like that because the, yeah. the promos I'd seen portrayed it that way. And then I'd read a couple of things. It's all about climate change and how people don't. No, I did. I, I would have that would have never crossed my mind. Watching that movie, if I hadn't, that hadn't been put in my head ahead of time. Well, I wonder I if that was thought of it. Was that deliberate to try to get the woke crowd to show I up? I think so. Or why would you portray it as it is not only not serious, it is it's closer to Monty Python. It's a farce. It's nonstop outrageous jokes from beginning to end. Well, yeah, <laughs> one of our just, listeners called it uh, uh, Idiocracy 2.0. That is a pretty good description of it right there. And it's just, I mean, well, I got I stopped and I started making a list of all the things they skewer harshly with, like, way out there jokes. Politics, politicians, cable news, morning TV with a Mika Brzezinski lookalike, I doubt was an accident. Yes. Celebrity culture, tech, those Apple things that Steve Jobs used to do in front of the screen. Reality <laughs> shows, the pace of life, social media, clickonomics, dieting, conspiracy theories, abuse of power, sex scandals, TikTok challenges, rivalry with China, rioting over inequality, the security state. <laughs> 
I wrote down this quote at one point where she goes home and her and her mom, her and her parents now disagree over the whole meteor thing. Your mother and I are for the jobs the comet will provide. <laughs> her dad says. Oh, that's beautiful. The, I can't wait to watch it. The government corporate nexus, celebrity science. Not an accident. I don't think that the big scientist everybody's talking to kind of looks like Fauci. Uh, at one point, um, the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's just fantastic in this movie, is kind of a schlubby, dorky scientist type. He's on Sesame Street with the Muppets and the little kids, and he's fed up with the fact that nobody's paying attention. And he says, every man, woman, and child on Earth is going to die. And this little girl says, I don't like him. (laughs) On Sesame Street. Ariana Grande singing an over-the-top, overwrought song at some The World Is Going to End concert. Everybody's waving their arms back and forth. Oh, my gosh. as As Twitter comments scroll on the screen, my sister can sing better than that. I mean, just... She's singing All about right, the too world. many spoilers. Too many spoilers. Oh, I haven't even come close to spoilers. <laughs> I mean, that is just that's just barely. And uh, but I couldn't recommend it more highly. It is just such a um, making fun of everything about the modern world. Love it, love it, love it. It's the only movie I've seen, but I wish it'd win the best Oscar just so more people would watch it. <laughs> you know what we didn't get to is the announcement of the Razzie Awards. The the most notable part of that, they created a new category, Worst Performance by Bruce Willis. Oh, wow. Because he made so many terrible movies. <laughs> wow, that's hilarious. Armstrong and Getty.